number 156.
like to thank our musicians again. What an incredible job they did. Uh, I also like to introduce again Mr. Bill Caris, who's bringing our word tonight. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. They make me afraid. <laughs> Let me begin by saying tonight that I'm thankful for the opportunity to share God's word with you. I have been our pastor for, well, I was ordained in 1981. But since December of 2010, I've been out of the pulpit for different reasons. But I am thankful tonight for the opportunity to share God's word with you. And as I was preparing to share with you tonight, the Lord just got on my heart. And he, yeah, I realized how much I miss preparing sermons. It's just something that um, when you don't do it, um, you, you lose something. And then when you actually get back in the word with the idea of sharing it with God's people, it's like the spirit just, he comes and he just blesses you. And so before we share the word tonight, I'd like you to just go with me to the Lord in prayer and thank him for this time for us to be together. And our Father, we do thank you that we're your people. We come together in this house tonight seeking your face. Father, we're mindful that as human instruments, I am broken and without your Holy Spirit, I am incapable of sharing anything of any value. But I thank you by your grace, your Holy Spirit will speak tonight through your word to your people, to your eternal purpose and end, that thy kingdom in our lives, in this church, in this community. And Father, we thank you for what you'll do because we commit ourselves, our time, and the word to you for your blessing. And we ask this in the name which is above every name the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. I'm a preacher's son, raised in the church and all the things that a preacher's son's supposed to be, quote, unquote. Now, some people say the preacher's sons are the worst ones in the community. That went to my twin brothers. <laughs> I was the first, and so because I was the first, they practiced on me. And I had to do everything just right and walk the chalk line. And I had a German father who was half again, I guess, my size. And he made sure that I kept in place. And uh, so I grew up with lots of Bible stories. And for those of you who have been in church all your life, you're familiar with Bible stories. You know, to name a few, would think of Noah and the ark, Daniel in the lion's den. Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And we just could go on and on with old Bible stories. And I think so many times that when we've heard them over and over again, and they're so familiar to us, that a lot of times we've lost the real power, the real punch. And as a child, certainly we're not able to grasp what as adults we're able to understand as we look into God's Word. So tonight... I'm going to kind of, we're going to go to 1 Kings. We're going to look at Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's the story that we're going to look at tonight. And that's found in your Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we will, for our purposes, um, begin reading in, in verse 20. But I'll give you just a little background. Um, Israel, as supposedly, uh, you know, God's people in the midst of a heathen world 
they had been given all the blessings they had been given the law they had been given years of prophets and teaching and the kingdom had gone through its zenith and were probably about a hundred years past david's time and this kingdom has become corrupt and corruption and wickedness is the order of the day the king at the time, Ahab, has married a Phoenician woman, a Sidonian, whose father was a king, but he was a worshiper of Baal, and she has brought to the nation Baal worship. They've established a temple for Baal, and she has established in her home uh, a banquet house for the 450 priests of Baal. So it's an interesting time. Uh, the people have been in rebellion against God. God has tried to bring them back to himself. For three years, there has been a drought in the land. And the famine that has resulted from the uh, drought brings about the first part of this chapter 18. And the king sends out one of his servants and he says, we've got to go out and find some kind of water. If we don't, the, the horses and the mules, we're going to lose everything. And in the process, as he's going out, he says, by the way, he says, um, find Elijah for me. And Elijah had had some bad words for the king and they'd kind of fallen out of fellowship. And so um, Elijah didn't really want to see the king and the king really didn't want to see Elijah, but now he was in a desperate state. And so um, in the process of looking for Elijah, uh, the servant comes on him and he says, the king's looking for you. And he said, will you, will you come with me? And Elijah said, well, um, yes, I will. And he said, but how, how do I know that you will? Because sure as I say to the king that you're coming and you don't, the king's going to kill me. Uh, every time he looks for you, he can't find you. And so there's a real tension set up in Elijah says, tell Ahab, come meet me. I'll meet with him. And so I want to pick up with you, if you will, um, in verse, well, let's see. Let's go, I will, for background's sake, we'll go back to 17, if you'll read with me. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he who troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the idols, 400, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, 
and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and prepare it first for your many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them, and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with swords and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when the midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with his stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elisha said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slew them there. We're going to rest our scripture reading there. Now, my, I've got a few former church members here with me tonight, so they're familiar with... I love the Word of God, and I think the Word of God speaks for itself. All we have to do is look into the Word, have an understanding of language, and we can understand what God is saying to us. So what I want to do with you is I want to go back over these same verses 
And just as we look through the verses, we'll talk about what we're seeing. We want to remember that this has been a time of drought and famine has resulted and there's great hardship and difficulty in the land. And many times, God will use hardships. He will use famine. And famine doesn't have to be always of food. It can be a famine of his word. It can be a famine of a lot of things. I think wisdom and understanding is something that's missing in our land today. There is a famine of wisdom and understanding. And as I look at this passage of scripture, the reason I wanted to share it with you tonight is I believe that God says to us, as a nation and as a people, how long halt ye between two opinions? Who are we serving? Where's the focus of our attention and our efforts and our labors? What are we really interested in? What really consumes us? What are we involved in? God had been dealing with his people through circumstances in order to bring them to repentance, but it hadn't worked. They were seeking to find water. They were trying to find some way around what he was doing. They were doing everything but what the circumstances were designed to do, and that was to bring them to repentance. And so at the point where Elijah and Ahab have this conversation, he says to Ahab, he said, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to get all the people together. And he said, I want you to assemble at Mount Carmel. And we're going to do something that will determine who, in fact, is God and who needs to be followed. So he says, send and get all the prophets of Baal and all the people and gather them together. So what he's done is he's called the people to come and observe what God is getting ready to do. And the people are assembled and also the prophets of Baal. Now, there's 450 of them. And also, it mentions earlier that there's also 400 other priests who served Ashtoreth. So we have about 850 pagan priests. And we have one man of God. One with God is a majority. When you don't have anyone with you, 450 or 850 multiplied by zero is still what? It's still zero. You don't have anybody with you. And though they appeared to the people to have the numbers, and they appeared to have the authority, because you have to remember, and I didn't have time to give you all the background, but the prophets of the Lord had been persecuted by Jezebel to where they had to flee and hide in caves. While the 450 sat at Jezebel's table, she fed them on the royal bill of fare every day. So the pagan priests are faring sumptuously. They're living the high life, and Elijah is alone. But he has God. And that's going to make the difference. So these are all assembled, and the instructions are, and let's read over them again. He said, because there's so many of you, and because you have the assets... You provide the bullocks. He said, you take one and I'll take one. And you cut yours in pieces and lay the wood and build, build, get the altar ready. And you prepare your sacrifice, but don't put any fire under it. 
He said, and I will take the other bullock and I will do the same. And the God who answers by fire will be God. Now when he presents that, if you'll look in verse 21, he says, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And I think this is interesting. It says, and the people answered what? It's okay if you talk to me. Not a word. They were not moved. There was nothing there that was attractive. They just thought, so what? Okay, big deal. They didn't have anything to say. And I think that's in scripture for a reason. Because if you'll notice, we're going to have two more responses from the people. And so he says, now I'm the only prophet that's left. And Baal's got 450, so I'm going to let them have the first show. Now, can you imagine? All you have to know is something about pagan worship today. You go to any country where idolatry is still the order of the day, and you watch the processions, and you watch the, the animals that are dressed. I, I think... I, as I go across the world, I think of how the elephants are painted and, and, and hung with flowers. And you just, you can go from place to place in South America, the, the carrying the statues on, on their shoulders and strewing the streets with flowers. Boy, it is a pageant. It is a show. Can you imagine 450 prophets of Baal with the assets of Jezebel and the court available to, can you imagine the ritual? that they went through as they prepared their sacrifice. I'm sure that they chanted, trumpets were blowing, cymbals were clanging as they got Baal's attention. They were calling him to come and, and do their bidding. And for those of you who know anything about the dark side, and I hope that's not many of you, you see, that's the lie that Satan uses to get people's attention. He says, if you serve me, I will give you power, and I will make you rich, and I will make you important, and I'll give you things that you can't obtain, but just serve me, and I will give you. And so they had a regular routine of what they went through in order to bring down the blessings of Baal. And I can just imagine the pageantry, the bright clothes, uh, probably incense clouds going up and, and, and music, trying to stir up some response from their God. Well, that went on for a while. In fact, if we look at our scripture, it says that they took the bullock, verse 26, which had been prepared, and they called from morning even until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But the scripture says what? There was no voice nor any that answered. I wish I had time with you. I've got scripture references that I'd love to share with you. I've got a page full. God makes fun of the heathen all the time, especially in the Old Testament. He talks about the people who take a piece of wood and fashion it, and they take the chips that they don't use after they've carved the image out. They make cake with it. They use them to bake on the fire, and then they take this statue or image that they've made, and they fall down and worship it. But he says, 
They have eyes, but they don't see. And they have ears, but they don't hear. And they have mouths, but they don't speak. And if you remember when the ark was in the presence of Dagon, Dagon fell on his face and finally broke in pieces before the ark. These images have no life. But in the presence of God or in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant with the Holy Spirit indwelling, they fall on their face and, and, and are crushed. And here's this pageantry going on, 450 prophets calling on Baal and they've done it all morning and now it's noon and no results. So Elijah says, well, you know, maybe you need to call on him. Verse 27. He says, cry aloud, for he is a God. Now he's mocking them. He says, either he's talking or perhaps he's off pursuing. He, he may be on a hunt. You know, and of course, if he's hunting, he's busy and he doesn't really. But you can probably get his attention if you try. And he taunts them. And he says, you know, maybe he's just on a journey. Or he might even be sleeping. You might need to wake him up from his nap. And in response, the pageantry now becomes very distressful. Um, this, all this trappings of, of religious ceremony is not accomplishing anything. There's no response from Baal whatsoever. And now in the face of, of Elijah calling them and mocking them and saying, you, wake him up, they begin to do something else that's found often in demonic or satanic worship. They began to cut themselves. They began to lacerate themselves and shed their own blood. It's interesting that Jesus shed his blood for us. But the devil always demands blood from his worshipers. The devil demands it. Jesus gave it. And they began to cut themselves and they began to do frantic things to try to get some kind of response from their God. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with swords and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Now think about how long this has been going on. Still no response. There was no answer nor any that regarded. All of their religious effort, all of their display, all of their um, antics as far as laceration, cutting themselves, nothing had brought down fire on their altar. And as I look at these scriptures and as I think about this story, I think how it's a reflection of our own world and our own society today. The power of God is conspicuously absent from the church of Jesus Christ. I think most of you would agree with me. There are churches everywhere, sticks and bricks piled up on every corner. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so ineffectual. Churches are empty. All you have to do is visit around. The pews give evidence of a capacity that's no longer being reached. And you wonder why we have all the trappings of religion. 
We have all the liturgies. We have all the traditions. We have all the things that we're supposed to do. And as a Baptist minister's son, I can tell you I've been doing most of them most of my life. But my own personal testimony, and I'm not going to divert from my my sharing scripture with you, was that as a Baptist minister's son, I had all the right things in line. I knew what to do, and I had to do it. I was exemplary. If you looked at me on the outside, you would have said, exemplary in his deportment, which is right out of the old Baptist covenant. But inside, the Baptist minister's son was just as empty as an old barrel because there was no spirit I had given my life to Jesus as a little boy eight years old and was baptized at that time but I had lived most of my life till I was 31 years old without the power of the Holy Spirit though very religious I was a deacon I was a Sunday school teacher I did all I taught Bible studies I did it all in my flesh in my strength but when God touched me I realized the difference between Bill cares and Jesus Christ and when Jesus comes and when the Holy Spirit comes everything changes and that's what we're missing friends and this is a revival service this is a message for revival because we need to be revived and we don't want to be like the prophets of Baal. We don't want to have all the trappings of a religion, but no power. So Elijah challenges them. He says, okay, you guys have had the show since early this morning. Now it's almost time for the sun to go down. He says, now, you people, come over here. And Elijah said to the people, come near me. And all the people came near him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I think that's significant. Altars were designed for what? Worship. How much worship goes on in the average church, I don't care what denomination, on any given Sunday morning. Trust me, friends, I'm the minister's son and for, for 40 years an ordained minister in the Baptist church. And I can tell you that we go into the sanctuary because I've heard them discussing the uh, go-kart races from Saturday night. They go into the sanctuary, they go through the ritual of the service, and when they shake my hand and step out the back door, they immediately, the conversation goes back to who had the pole Saturday night at the race. And I think, wow, what just took place in there? Anything? Or was it just Sunday morning ritual, something that we just do? Was there any real worship that was taking place? Was there anything that was really, truly glorifying God and giving him his place and our accepting our place as with nothing to offer him but our heart? And that's what he wants. So religion won't get us there. And Elijah says, now, come with me. He repairs the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. And unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Now let me ask you, do you think that if you'd have gone through that crowd that day and said, 
do you believe in God? Do you, what, what percentage of those people do you think would have said, oh yeah, we believe in God. Why, we're Abraham's children. Our fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Why, we know who, we have a God. And, and, and we, we believe in God. Do you think they believed in the law that Moses had given them? Probably most of them had studied it at some point. But it's not what you say you believe. If what you say you believe is not at work in your heart. I could have given you, as, as the Bill Kearse before the Lord touched me, I could have given you anything you wanted to know about Baptist doctrine, church doctrine. I had all, I'd been to Bible college for four years. I, I could give it to you by rote, anything you want to know. And just as spiritually dead as that oak. No acorns this year. Guaranteed. So Elijah calls them together and he says, I'm building this altar to remind you who you are. In church, when born again by the Holy Spirit of God and you are in the body of Christ, then you need to remember who you are. And you need to remember who your father is. And you need to remember what your father has called you to do. And we've forgotten that, I'm afraid, for the most part. We've been consumed with ourself, with the world, with the things that the world puts on us, and we have lost our first love. He reminds them who they are. He said, this altar I'm building to remind you of where you came from. He puts the wood in order. He cuts the bullock in pieces. He says, now here's the deal. The other crowd, he gave them every benefit. He gave them the whole day to do their show. Just to make sure that everybody understands that he didn't fudge anything. He says, here's the deal. You had a dry bullock, you had dry wood, and you had a dry altar. And you couldn't get squat. I'm going to soak my cow. I'm going to soak my wood. We're going to dig a trench. And we're going to fill the trench with water. So you guys know that I'm not cheating. And that's what he did. Verse 36 says, and it, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said. Now look at this prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. What's his main focus? That God should be glorified. That God should be worshipped. That God should be acknowledged. You are the God of Israel. You are the rightful God of this kingdom. You have built this kingdom. You've called these people to yourself. These people belong to you. This nation belongs to you. And if they've forgotten it, oh well. But Lord God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Was there any power in Elijah? Any power in you to do the work of God? Not a bit. But who is the power here? Who gets the glory here? God gets the glory. I'm just the servant. 
My prayer before I came here tonight was, Lord, I'm not even worthy to open and share your word. But I thank you that you make me worthy through the Lord Jesus Christ. But to God be the glory for everything that we do comes from him. Without him we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now watch what happens here. Elijah, the single man with nobody behind him but God. The other crowd has had the whole show all day long with all the trappings of religion and the support of the court and everything else going, and nothing going on. Elijah makes a prayer. And he says, hear me, O Lord. Hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. What was the purpose of this whole thing? To bring people back to God. To acknowledge that the Lord, he is God. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's who we are. Now pardon me if I choke up on this because to me I'm just overwhelmed by my God. My God is awesome. We've got an altar made of rocks. Now when you want to build a chimney in the old days before you bricked them up, you'd get a, some suitable rocks and you, you, you build your whole chimney out of stones, right? Why do we do that? Because fire doesn't burn up stones. And when you have a fire, you guys who have worked with the fire department, when you get to the fire, what do you usually put on it? Water. Because water puts the fire out. Water doesn't feed the fire. But let's see what happens. <laughs> then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, do you understand what God has done here? He's reversed the laws of nature. Stones don't burn, but these did. Water doesn't burn, but this was lapped up like kerosene or gasoline in the trench. Everything that was there was burned up. And I wish I had time to, and I'm watching the clock back there. I wish I had time to, to take you down a road right here. But God has a way of removing everything that gets in the way. And sometimes we like that and sometimes we don't. But when things get in the way, God has his fire. And when his fire falls, it cleanses, it purifies, and it removes. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now remember, they had said nothing at first. And then back in 24, when he proposed that he would do this, they said, It is well spoken. In other words, okay, we'll see the show. But now their response is what? They fell on their faces. That's a posturing for worship, isn't it? They fell on their faces and they cried, The Lord, He is God. 
And Elisha said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he slew them there. Now, they started out <clears throat> with a, quite a show. Their show kind of went awry, and they became very distressed and frantic. And in the end, they were destroyed. When you have dead religion... When you have the trappings of religion, but you don't have the Savior, things may go well when things are going well. But then when things begin to go awry and you want to call out and there's no response. And I wish I could give you all these scriptures, but all through scripture, it's in the Proverbs, it's in the prophets. God told Jeremiah, don't even bother praying for these people. I'm so worn out with these people in their religion, their new moons and their Sabbaths. I'm worn out. I'm so sick of incense and the blood of bulls and goats. These people turn my stomach. I'm sick of religion. You say, preacher, where are the verses? I'll give them to you afterward if you're interested. The, the scripture's full of God being weary with us playing church. And when the prophets of Baal found that they weren't getting any fire falling, they became very distressed. And I have seen many a church member become very distressed in a time of crisis because there's no personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Or if there ever was one, it's been allowed to get cold. And in a time of crisis, they have nowhere to go. They call, but there's no response. And in the end, it's a disaster. It's destruction, which is exactly what the prophets of Baal experienced. It cost them their life. When the fire fell, you noticed, it burned up the altar. It didn't burn up the people. When God laid the sins of the world that should have caused us to be punished and destroyed forever in the fires of hell. When God laid the sins of the world, he didn't lay them on you and me. His grace laid them on his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ on the cross bore the sins of the world. That's every sin that you and I have ever committed. And when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. David brought out last night, they're, they're, though they're red like crimson, they're like wool. He deals with our sins so completely because it was dealt with so completely on the cross when Jesus died. But if we don't repent, if we don't confess, if we don't cleanse our hearts before the Lord, then there's nothing but judgment. And I'm way out of time, and I'm probably about three quarters through what I'd love to share with you tonight. But let me just leave you with this. That if you're here, and you say, well, preacher, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 13 years old. And I've heard that in the Baptist church all my life. I'll never forget when one lady in my church came to me and said, preacher, my grandson's going to be 13 next week. And I want him saved and I want him to join the church. And I said, I beg your pardon. 
Shit, he's going to be 13 and I want him saved so he can join the church. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. But a lot of people have that mentality. I, I, I got saved when I was 13 and joined the church and I think, did you? Or did you go through some ritual? Did you go through some whatever? And you've been coasting on that for the rest of your life. But what I would challenge you to do is take a look at your life. I'm not judging because I can't. But there is a judge who is. And before him, what does your life look like? Are you motivated by the kingdom? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because if you are, the rest of it's easy. He's already promised that he'll take care of everything else. Or are you still hung up in this world? Are you still thinking about, you know, what you're going to do tomorrow to increase your assets? Do you ever think about the world and its assets? Second Peter, David brought it out last night. It's one of my favorite passages. If I told you to come to work for me, and I would pay you at the end of the day, and you put in a hard day's work, and at the end of the day, I went over to the hearth in my fireplace, and I took up a handful of ashes and said, Brian, open your hand, let me give you your salary. How many of you would show up for work tomorrow? David shared it with you last night. In the mind of God, all these things are already dust and ashes. And he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of men ought we to be in all godliness and holy living? What should be our, what should be our motive for living? Is it to buy and sell and get gain? That's in the prophets too. When will the new moon be gone? When will the Sabbath be over so that we can buy and sell and get gain? That's what they were interested in, not worship. Buying and selling and getting gain. The scriptures are full. But God's truth endures to all generations. And what he did 2,600 years ago, or 3,000 years ago, or 4,000 years ago, or what he did yesterday, nothing changes. His truth endures to all generations. So I would ask you tonight, I, I imagine that if I were to ask you one by one, there's probably not a person here who at some time or another has not made a profession of faith. And that's well and good. But I would ask you, what does your profession look like in everyday living? And if you were called to the court of heaven for examination, and while I was here last night, you lost one of your very dear members, and I just sat with him Sunday at homecoming and shared an afternoon with him at the table, and I thought at the time I'd like to get to know him better. What a fine man. Young, family, called away. If you were called away and called to give an account of your life and your service, what would it look like before the throne of heaven, before the, the, the judge? Because if you're not sure that this is a service of revival, it's a time for renewing. And I would encourage you to examine your heart before the Lord and see where you are. Because we don't know the day or the hour when either the Lord Jesus will return or where we will be called to his presence.
So let me leave that with you tonight. Do we want to be like the prophets of Baal? Their religion ended up in their death and destruction. Or do we want to be like Elijah, alone with God, but with God the majority? And see the power of God move in such a way that in this community and in your life and all around, lives are changed because Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he is acknowledged as the Lord and Master of all. That only happens when he's revealed in and through you and me. We've been called as his body to be his hands, his feet, his eyes. His... We're not idols. We're alive in Christ. Let's use the life that he has given us and the life that he's called us to. To his glory. Praise be our God. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that gives us his power. Father, we thank you. We ask that you'll take your word, that you'll challenge hearts, that you will accomplish your eternal purpose. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to thy glory and honor. And we thank you for what you'll do because we can come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. to praise God for bringing that that message to us such a great message it's faith it's all about faith when you're praying your next time whatever you're asking for whoever you're praying for whatever you're praying about When you say the word amen, know what it means. Amen, man, amen, amen means so be it. So when you say amen, say so be it, knowing in faith that your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, has got it in faith say it he promises you he promises us he promises you with assurance that in faith 
all things are possible. Yeah. Thank you for that message. Thank you, Jesus, for that message. Thank you, Jesus, for each and every individual here. Pray we take it to the streets. Last night we made a comment. 24 hours a day. 8, 10, 12, 14 hours of the day we're out and about. How many times are you saying the name of Jesus? We had a challenge. Maybe eight hours of that time. Say Jesus one time in eight hours. Each of the eight hours. Personal challenge. Did you meet it? Can you meet it tomorrow? With Jesus Christ, you can meet it. Have faith. Give it to Him. He's paid it all for you. Roger, would you mind praying us out? And before Roger prays, if there's anyone that needs to come to the altar, it's open at any time. If you need to come, just give yourself to Jesus. The altar's open. If you just need to let do some baggage, the altar's open. impossible. And we praise you and thank you ahead of time for that. In Christ I pray.
Mira. 